0: I'm delighted to be here tonight in the cozy confines of Artifact Coffee to continue our Origin Speaker Series. I'm Spike Jurdie, the owner of Woodbury Kitchen here in Baltimore. This gathering is intended to advance the conversation about food, its origins, and what is happening around our food system in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. We started our first restaurant, Woodbury Kitchen, with a commitment to local sourcing and now work closely with more than 60 different farmers and producers throughout the region. We supply our four restaurants and our canning and butchery operations with meat, eggs, grains, fish and shellfish, cooking oil, cheeses and produce, literally everything we need to feed our guests. The hope is that this series will shine a light on the work that this community is doing in our area. The conversation is held monthly at Artifact, our coffee shop, in the heart of the Woodbury neighborhood in Baltimore. All
1: right, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to be back for our first installment this fall. Welcome back. I think uh, three-quarters of you have been to Origins before. Who's new? Anybody new here? New? Got, okay, that's good. All right, so I'll talk a little bit about how we, what we do here a little later on, but uh, welcome back. Um, tonight we're actually uh, do, introducing a two-parter. It's the first time we've ever done this, um, We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so you have to remember everything from tonight and then bring it forward with you one week from tonight, because we're going to be talking about sort of the, the economics of uh, the local food movement and how that sort of, the, the impact of it, and, and we're going to just take a deep dive. Um, I just wanted to say that like, the whole idea behind Origins when we started it was to highlight the farmers' the fishermen, the producers, and the makers behind um, the whole local food movement. We did all that. So. And so, so we've done all that,
2: so <laughs> now it's time. Really,
1: it's so true. <laughs> so I just wanted to say, Spike started Woodbury Kitchen um, 10 years ago um, with a commitment to local growers and producers, and um, his team deserves uh, great kudos for generating over $2.1 million annually back into the... To the local economy, is that an accurate number?
0: Sounds about right. Okay,
1: I think that deserves a lot of kudos. So, so I just so I, with that kind of idea, we said we've never really looked at it from all different sides. So for tonight, we're looking at it from both the retail perspective and through the um, lens of, of an Eastern Shore aggregator called Chesapeake Harvest, Harvest um, based in Easton. Um, so a week from tonight, um, and we have a deal <laughs> if you want to come back next week, um, uh, we'll continue the conversation from, um, with two local farmers, Dave Liker from Gorman, uh, Gorman Farms and Mark Toygo from Toygo Orchards. So Mark sells to Whole Foods and about 10 other farmers markets, so I think he has a great perspective on this, building multiple sales channels. Um, Dave's sales channels is, is exclusively CSAs, so we'll learn a little bit about how that works as well. So for any of you that are interested in attending next week, for our loyal Origins attendees, um, just for tonight, you can get a ticket for $50. So if you want a ticket, see Lauren, uh, Lauren Jones. Um, but tonight, we're thrilled to welcome Scott Nash and Tracy Ward, and here's a brief um, bio on both of them. So Tracy, obviously over here, has over 30 years of experience as an economic and community development leader, devoting her career to community transformation and change through collaborative public-private partnership and cross-disciplinary strategies. In 2004, Tracy founded Urbanite, which I'm sorry to say I was sad to see it go, an award-winning glossy magazine with a circulation of over 60,000 in the Baltimore metropolitan area. After shuttering Urbanite in 2012, Tracy took a year off to work on farms and learn about our local food system. In 2014, as executive director of the Easton Economic Corporation, Tracy started Chesapeake Harvest, a sales, marketing, and branding organization committed to increasing sales of locally and sustainably grown food products in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. That's a mouthful. Um, So welcome, Tracy. So I'm going to hold this up. <laughs> because I just <laughs> So for those of you who there, you this. <laughs> so uh, I said, I looked at this and I said, you gotta love a guy that puts his personal email on every grocery bag. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually tried it and it worked. <laughs> oh nice. <laughs> nice. Now that we got him here? That's how it All was. right. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a lot of these, by the way. I'm really glad you came to Baltimore County. (laughs) So, um, Scott Nash started Mom's Organic Market at the age of 22 with an initial investment of $100 as a home delivery business out of his mom's garage. In July 1987, Mom's made its first sale delivering to a customer who lived in Rockville, Maryland. Since then, Moms has grown to become one of the nation's premier chains of family-owned and operated organic grocery stores. Moms has 19 stores in D.C., Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Moms' purpose is to protect and restore the environment, and Moms also takes on issues such as banning advertising to children and raising the minimum wage, and this guy drives a Tesla. (laughs) And a vote. (laughs) <laughs> Annabelle's, right. <laughs> and you can charge in his parking lot. Yes. That I know too. Um, so, uh, last but not least, is oil that's a well oiled machine that behind the Origins programs. And I'd like to thank the, everybody that's sort of got us here to this point, which includes Spike, obviously, Hannah Reagan in the back, Lauren Paven Jones, and our hardworking staff here at Artifact Co- Coffee. Thank you to Mary Romeo for our Facebook posts. Donnie Carlo for recording and engineering the program, and Grace Gillespie for arranging tonight's flowers. And tonight's chefs are Pat and Chef Leo. Mm-hmm. Do I have that right? And Spike will tell us a little bit more about um, our meal um, at the end of the conversation. So for those of you that are new, um, we record the proceedings. And then uh, the program is edited and um, put into a podcast format and uploaded to chess, uh, to um, bro- uh, Heritage Public Radio in Brooklyn, New York. Um, so all of our past productions from the last three years are all located there, if you want to go back and geek out on 25 prior origins. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Spike.
0: Thanks, Dana. I'm really so excited for this conversation, I'm going to try to do my best to kind of weave these incredibly important um, threads of our food system together, and i, I I've already expressed personally my my thanks to our two guests for making the relatively long trip to the friendly confines of Artifact Coffee here in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Where closest neighborhood is Hamden, and Scott just let me know that the Hamden Moms is most weeks the number one Moms, which I just just think that's, uh, we can start. (laughs) I don't know why that makes me so happy. I'm so, I, I'm, it makes me so proud. But I, I'm gonna—I have to start off and just say that I am an unabashed uh, um, fan of moms. It's—it's if—if I'm—if I go to a supermarket, it's moms. Um, my son has a, uh, a fixation on the hot food bar at Whole Foods, which I try to look the other way on. But for me, shopping—if <laughs> I'm shopping in a store for food, it's gonna be moms. Um, there are a couple reasons for that. I think it's the only. Um, Store that that um, that does a good job with the things that I want to buy. Um, it's still, as as Dana mentioned, it's family owned and operated. It has a re- it has a real connection to this place, and I shouldn't let it go unsaid that they also stock uh, candy or Woodbury Pantry jams and jellies and snake oil <laughs> and, and tomatoes. So um, um, I, I'm I'm grateful for that as well. But it, it's it's a great shopping experience, and I, I want to I'm going to start with Scott. Um, and um, Dana did a nice job of kind of providing some background. But one of the things that always struck me about moms and one of the things that resonated with me right away is the fact that, you know, right up front, you talk about it as, as, as an environmental... The, the, one of the big reasons that you, I think that you did this and, and and one of your, I think, missions is an environmental one. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that?
3: Yeah. Um, it is... Uh, I mean, I was born... It was a... Um, a coincidence that I got into uh, organic foods. I was raised by, um, you know, progressives out of Minnesota, and I have a cousin who uh, I've only met like twice. She started Little Bear Organics or Burritos out on the West Coast completely. I had actually forgotten she'd done that after I started my company, so it's kind of in our family's um, heritage or values to to be into uh, environmental movements and, and and so, I'm lucky in that organic farming and the food and the products that we sell is great for the environment um, in that it is obviously missing, you know, tonnage of, of really um, nasty toxins, um, which destroy some environments and they stress every environment, basically. Um, and we thought to ourselves, well, let's double down on this. It's my passions, most of our employees' passions, and uh, really be as environmental as an as a, uh, operation as we could be. And we feel like we are the most environmental um, company our size, uh, for sure grocery, in the world maybe. I um, mean, we just do so much. Everything that we can basically that's feasible.
0: So So um, one of the things that occurs to me is that when you get into retailing food, mm-hmm. and uh, we made a little bit of light of it earlier, be, you know saying that we've we've covered the makers and the farmers and the and the, but this is really a crucial part of our food system and and the one that most of us have the most contact with you know we're not going to most of us aren't going to visit a farm or or you know go see a beekeeper uh, on a daily basis, but many many of us and man, many many uh, you know will go to a retail food store of some kind of supermarket a or, or grocery and buy their food and when you do that uh, the business side of that is that these are some of the he- biggest companies in the world. And so mm-hmm. you opened in 1987, is that right? Which is amazing to me. And do you, you probably don't realize at the time that you're going to kind of wade into these waters where you're going to go up against gigantic corporations like mm-hmm. Kroger and Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, but here you are now, all these years later, um, and and this is a hyper-competitive part of the food mm-hmm. system that, that we talk about. What is that? I'm just like... It's, it's amazing to me in some, on some level that you can compete against these behemoths.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I might be the most amazed. Uh, I mean, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, and uh, it's a good thing I started small because I didn't have much to lose. Um, and I learned as I went. I mean, it took me, for us, nine years for me to get to um, $1 million in annual revenues. That's incredibly slow growth. Uh, even though it was about 20% a year, starting from the you know our first sale, um, you know I mean, and we're substantially larger than that now. Um, um, and we, I will, you know, I'll put this out there. I think that one day, before I die, will be a billion-dollar company. Um, uh, I had to learn as I went. I read a lot of books. Um, figured it out as I went. That's all I can say. It, you know, um, I'm passionate. Um, I will say this about grocery. I kind of feel like it's an easy, and retail in general, it's easy to compete because the, um, the managers at, a lot, at grocery operations and those executives and retail tend to be set in their ways with how they manage, they're, they're outdated, um, they are all white men basically. They um, have a, a, a kind of a militant way of, I'm the boss, I know what's best. They, they have quite a bit of hubris, and, and so you've seen some disruptors into the grocery industry come in and devastate the giants and the Safeways of the world. Um, and they have gotten squeezed hard, and they deserve to get squeezed hard. It's kind of like our auto industry here, uh, where they, they, were, they came out from Tesla and the Japanese, and, and they were just uh, you know, almost archaic in their thinking. Um, and so anyway, that's how I see, um, grocery. And, you know, you have Whole Foods who has come in and laid waste to the, the, the landscape. And then you have Aldi's and Trader Joe's and these, even Walmart with these discounters. And these guys were, 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 um, uh, left, um, with their hat in hand and didn't know what hit them. And I, we were one of the disruptors, obviously not to any close, um, to the level of scale as a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, for example. But we are, um you know, some innovators who, who helped to disrupt the industry over the last 20 years?
0: It's, when you think about grocery stores, it, it, it's, it's interesting to me that it's, it's a wholly American invention in a way. And a lot of the things, a lot of the components of the grocery store experience, the, the checkout aisle, the fact that you, um, you know, you, it seems ridiculous now, but the fact that you take the product off the shelf yourself and put it in your cart as opposed to somebody doing that. All of these were innovations, really, in the early 1900s, innovations, I guess, in some sense, um, that, that kind of add up now to the grocery or, or, or supermarket experience that we all kind of expect. Um, you've kind of, you, you're, you're talking about your, your place in this kind of long tradition, this history as a disruptor, be, and your disruption is, is organic. Is that how you think of it? or
3: Well, no, kind of. I mean, our model is, is a different model. Um, uh, I think Trader Joe's has a similar model. Uh, I will tell you, as a, as a grocer, when I look at operations and, and the brands they built and their execution, I, th- I feel like the two greatest grocery operations were Trader Joe's and Costco. Um, you know, when they were launched, if you, came, if you were Costco and said, we're going to have this huge store, it costs $40 a shop here. Whatever you buy, you have to buy a lot of it. Would you like to invest? I think they would have been laughed out of the, uh, and they're, inc- they're, they're incredible. Trader Joe's, our produce sucks. We, we have, we have you, you know, we have 3,000 items. Some of the stuff, we have one catch-up. One you know, there's no variety. What's there one week isn't there the next week. People would have thought, you're nuts. And they have a higher sales per foot than any um, chain in the world um, for their size. Um, So, and so I feel like we are... Do you
0: understand what, what is the, can you quantify or describe what the appeal of Trader Joe's is to someone that hates Trader Joe's? Well,
3: (laughs) I mean, mean, first of all, they have a very strong and disciplined brand with even their, you know, every Trader Joe's store has a hand, a full-time sign maker. Everything's handwritten. They want every store to be different. Um, They, uh, there's a treasure hunt aspect. There are products that they have that no other company has, whether it's like a cilantro, shrimp, frozen deal, or their speculative cookie ice cream, you know. So they've done very well at, at, at what's called Treasure Hunt and their brand. And, they, and there is a lot of science out there that talks about how um, there's a great book called um, The Art of Choice or Choosing that talks about how too much choice is actually bad for most people. That's why Trader Joe says, this is the ketchup, we've tested it, and this is the one you're gonna buy from us, and that's it. We, on the other hand, have a lot of ketchups because our customers are very, they're high-level experts, they're very educated, and they want a fruit juice sweetened ketchup, they want a local ketchup, they want a, you know.
0: They want a local ketchup? A honey
3: ketchup, that, yeah. <laughs> so, are we taking notes here? We <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway, they, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's um, the door's been blown open on the grocery industry, um, really mainly I feel like starting with Whole Foods and Trader Joe's on, on that, and, and then the discounters like Aldi, and, and uh, even the uh, dollar stores um, on the low end.
0: So let's change it up, I want to talk to, switch over to Tracy for a second, and, and I'm, I'd like to start, I guess, with a different history, uh, which is the history of produce growing on the Eastern Shore, where, where you, you're doing your work. And um, I think th- that to me would be a great place to start because a lot of what was there isn't there anymore, but you seem to be tapping into the, the, this, the tremendous potential that still exists in that part of our state.
4: Right. So um, actually, the Eastern Shore was the tomato capital of the world um, back in, I guess it would be like the 50s. Um, we had canning operations all over the Eastern Shore, um, the packing house in um, Cambridge was owned by the Phillips, Phillips Packing House, and they shipped uh, tomato, um, packed tomatoes all over the world. Um, at, at some point, that started to shift right after the 50s where um, the, infra- the infrastructure investments weren't made. We started to see cheap labor out of um, Mexico coming up into California, and um, irrigation was, was needed in order to sustain the industry and those uh, infrastructure improvements weren't really made. So um, everything started to shift to California. Um, And as that happened, um, the farms consolidated and started to um, turn over to other uh, other products like today, of course, we know it's all pretty much 99% chickens or corn and soy in order to feed the chickens. And so it's industrialized, it's um, a commodities market. Um, And the small farms, we did have small farms and truck farming as well. They would come into the cities, they also went away. So all that infrastructure that supported that pretty much dried up. Um, But on the plus side, we have a million and a half acres on in the Delmarva Peninsula. It's the largest growing area on the Eastern Seaboard. And so we have a tremendous potential to tap into um, uh, some of the concerns that are, are legitimate concerns about our food security um, in order to um, foster more growing locals so that we can basically meet the, the uh, demands of our local market. There's 42 million people that live within a day's drive of Easton, Maryland. So Easton, in a lot of ways, is sort of in the center of this, um, and so even we sort of have big aspirations for the future of our eastern shore and our million and a half acres, um, but it's, it's sort of like turning a ship around in a very small harbor because the far, it's a predominantly industrialized economy over there. And so getting sort of the uh, farming community to even embrace the idea of um, growing uh, products that we actually eat, um, produce, fruits, whatever, um, it's, it's, a very, it's a challenge uh, for them. On the, on the flip side, what's helping us right now is the um, market for corn and soy and chickens is very much, um, I don't want to say endangered, but uh, there are definitely concerns about the viability of the market um, as consumer preferences for organic, for example, are, are coming more and more online. Um, But other things as well, as uh, you're seeing what's going on with the tariffs, we're seeing what's going on in the global marketplace. Uh, There's been a lot of opening up with trade with China. So um, our farmers actually are um, not in a very secure position. Um, And then you layer in a whole lot of other factors that are um, sort of global and and, and national, um, and you find that the farms are, they realize they do need to diversify and perhaps tapping into the local um, economy uh, through food um, would be the way to do that. Specialty crops is what we call vegetables and fruits. They're actually called specialty crops. <laughs> Only 1% of what we grow is specialty. 99% of what we grow is for animal. In our state. In our, pretty much nationwide. And, by the way, I do have um, resources here, some really excellent resources that my staff and I put together where you can really read up and get great information on this stuff. Is part
0: of the mission at, at Chesapeake Harvest to, is it, is it also environmental based? I mean, we've, yes. I think it's pretty well understood that a, commodity farming has a detrimental effect on the Chesapeake Bay, for example. Is that part of your mission?
4: So, yeah, absolutely. So it is our notion that um, the, the consumer preference is to have clean, cleaner food. So get away, obviously the organic is is um, number one way to do that, to, to be assured that your food is relatively clean. Knowing your farming farmer, knowing their practices is another. Our goal is to do that for you. So what we do is we're on the farms every day. We're working closely with the farmers. Uh, we understand their growing practices um, and we're educating them about your preferences. And uh, Eastern Shore is a very interesting place. A lot of people say it's like stepping back in time. I would say that it probably is like stepping back in time. You go over there, and it feels like it's, a, it's 50 years behind. Um, and so the, a lot of the farming community does not even... When we started this four years ago, they did not even understand the demand. They did not... Farm to table wasn't happening in Easton, except for maybe one restaurant here and one somewhere else. Um, we've seen that change quite a bit just in the last, let's say, four years. Um, but back to Spike's question about the environment... What Our goal is to work with the farms, understand their practices, and then to begin to train them and educate them on how they can modify their practices for consumer preference, for the cleaner food, um, that ultimately will bring a higher value in the marketplace. Um, the key here is to get, the, to get you to pay more for your food. I mean, at the end of the day, we're externalizing our costs through environmental, through our health, um, by making poor choices. Um, And those choices are are very much structural in terms of uh, our government and some of the uh, policies that we have. Um, And so to to change these things, you have to really get in the trenches and work with the farmers shoulder to shoulder because they can't turn on a dime. They have to make a living. Um, And so how do you do that so you you help them along the path? And creating a brand called Chesapeake uh, Harvest is one way that we want to differentiate our products coming out of the Eastern Shore, actually out of the watershed. So much greater footprint eventually um, is how we're going to do that through uh, through standards for our growers.
0: Do you have any growers that are organic, certified organic? Or, we do. Organic we do, we do
4: absolutely have growers that are organic. Um, uh, what I would say is that um, still not enough. Um, the, the the economics are just not really supportive
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, in the local marketplace. I think. The marketplace that Scott's working in, where, where you're selling at a large scale, big volume, um, out in California, those folks have different machinery, different technology, different, different everything, even a different um, support system uh, than we have here uh, on, in Maryland or on the Eastern Shore.
0: So, so I want to, and I'm going to ask that question, I guess, in a different way to Scott. You start out. Did you name it? Was was it Moms from the get
3: go? Was Uh, it? No, it was very catchy. Organic Foods
0: Express. (laughs) (laughs) And then Uh, it became Moms.
3: uh... It was very random. That wasn't even my idea to name it Moms. Um, But it was called Organic Foods Express because I started it uh, in my mom's garage doing home home delivery.
0: Um, in the middle of the night, and then, it's a long story, but I also started doing How appreciative was that, that you got the home delivery thing before any of these? <laughs>
3: Let me tell you, I feel like to this day, I've, I've, I'm almost retired, because home delivery was so freaking hard. Um, back in the day, I, mean, there's, I put on, I paid, I put 40-hour work days. Um, so, it, 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 it was really, really difficult. So, as it, like Spike said, like it, now they come and they get it and they give you the money right away. <laughs> right, right,
0: right. <laughs> you know, you have to deliver it. So, but the question, so, but now it is my organic market. Is that? No, it's mom's now. It's yeah.
3: just mom's. It was Organic Foods Express, then it was my organic market, but our logo was M-Apple M, so people started right. calling us moms. And then one time we had a strategic planning thing, and we wrote different names of the company up on the top of the page. and. That was a problem.
0: Uh, so, so we had to... You know, right. What is this company called? Yeah, again? right, right. Okay.
3: So we had to change it to Mom's Organic Market.
0: Okay. And, which is good because the question I want to ask you is how do you feel mm-hmm. about tying kind of your wagon to this word organic, which is now, you know, there, yeah. there's a lot of questions about what it means, about the certification itself, um, and... I mean, I get it, but there's, you know, we have growers that I talk to that say, I don't do that because it's, you know, the certification doesn't mean anything or it's, you know, it's...
3: <laughs> it, you know, if they organic certification doesn't mean anything, then what certification does? Like, like it, it is the most certified food we have available to us. Wherever there's humans involved, there's going to be error and, and even fraud. Um, uh, but it is the most stringent and the most controlled. Uh, there's on, on-site inspections. There are lab testing. Um, it's it's the most trustworthy certification you can get, um, and it's not. Yeah, th- I think they're just kind of not into organics. The ones who say it's right. cost prohibitive, and they're just using that more as, a, as an excuse. Um, what was your question? Was there another? Well, one? Yeah.
0: I, that you know, kind of, it's part of your name is the is the word organic. Okay, so and I'm I'm very
3: proud yeah. to, uh-huh. to sell organic foods. Um, um, you know. I actually, people romanticize farmers. I don't. Um, I they are responsible for more pollution, um, and and wreak more more environmental havoc than many industries. Um, the organic farmers I love. I mean, they are they are um, you know heroes to me. Um, but I'm not a big fan of like um, I don't know the Farm Bureau whatever it is. You know uh, they have, and, and you know, you alluded to systems set up that are actually not favorable to organic. Um, you know, there's so many farm subsidies, which is pretty much corporate welfare for these gargantuan um, agri businesses, and the organic farm doesn't get that. Um, they are left out of that. Um, I mean, they, they have some insurance, but it just isn't as much, nearly. And, and so I was on the Organic Trade Association board for many years. Our biggest goal was to just please let us have an equal... Uh, play field and, and get equal subsidies, um, you know, and that hasn't happened. So um, I'm not a fan of uh, the chemical farming industry or farmers who do it.
0: And, I mean, one of the, the other thing that we're, we're kind of facing is that this, there is this, this perception, and I, I guess it's backed up, that organic is growing. Is that the case? Well,
3: I, you know, I'm so lucky to be in this industry. I mean, I, I latched on to it in 1987. Um, and the industry has grown double digits for 30 years. I've been in business for 31 years, and it's double digits. It's been very easy. Um, so demand has always outstripped supply, and it still is. I think we're up to 5% of um, all sales now, and you know, when I got in, it was like a third of 1% or something. It was nothing. So it's, it is growing, and it's not going to stop. The way I see it, it's, it's, it's not just like a trendy fad like kale might be it is it, it, uh, you know it's really um it's like a trendy fad like civil rights are like it's it's it, it it it's it's right it's the right direction it's good for humanity you very eloquently um described it as um profits are privatized and the and the real costs are are made public the problems are are are, are you know tossed off to the public whether it's health or environmental destruction um so um so it's it's going in the right direction. It hasn't stopped, and it's not going to stop. I don't think. Do, do,
0: is there a specific way that, for that you see, having done this for as long as you have, that that local sourcing fits in to to what you do at Moms?
3: Local sourcing, uh, Spike. You and I have talked about this. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I didn't. I didn't say I wouldn't ask you.
3: I, just... <laughs> uh, I mean, I, but, I'll I'll go on the record to say that I think that the local food movement is a little overrated. Um, I think it's it's. Uh, I think it's, first of all, you know, I I have a friend who wrote a book on local economies, and we and I argued about it quite a few years ago. And I said, are you telling me that the Washington, D.C. area, which is propped up by $5 billion in federal contracting, needs local economic support? Like, I actually like that, for example, um, um, I mean, people are people no matter where they are. So the economic part of it, I don't, I think people in rural areas, you know, let's say Walmart, had opened in Bentonville, you know, um, I mean, they built a whole community there, and there probably wasn't much there beforehand, and, and now... Um, you have an airport. Right, and, and, and so, you know, their local community was made very strong by Walmart. Um, anyway, long story short is, people are people no matter where they live. Uh, I don't think our economy needs support um, from that point of view. I, I think local stuff is fantastic when it's fantastic. Uh, if it's higher quality, it's great. It's obviously going to be fresher if it's closer. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience is that organic farms that are large are large for a reason, because the people running those those uh, companies are smart, they're innovative, they're efficient, and they and they um, they for example, fiscal strawberries grow in California. That's where strawberries are meant to be grown, um, and it 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 uh, and that's why they're they, they're less perishable. They're, taste, you know, all that. So it's never, it's never all things are equal. Um, all things are equal. Local is good. But it's never all things are equal. Do you, do you, will event. you
0: guys take local strawberries in the season? <laughs> like in May, like just we, that we, moment in May where it's... You know, we
3: do. And then I always um, gripe about it because the bottom of the thing is seeping with red juice. And, and because they don't have the proper cooling systems, they're delivering them down... In trucks that aren't even refrigerated, they're picking them at 11 o'clock in the morning on, on a hot day. Um, they, they're they not water-cooled. You know, they, 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 um, organic strawberry is delicious. It's fantastic. I love you, farmer, for growing it. But the bottom line is you're getting half the strawberry. And uh, in other words, it's twice the price, honest to God, of, of like a Driscoll, even when they're in season here. Um, and they're only going to last for a couple of days if you're lucky. So can I... Flip
4: that to
0: you and ask you, local food economy, Rover (laughs) rating?
4: I would say not. I I, I mean, absolutely. Um, However, I will uh, say it it is complex. Um, So the farmers we work with um, aspire to be in a mom's organics, many. Um, The realities of that are quite challenging. So uh, logistics being the number one challenge. Um, The distributors take a very, very big cut. from what they pay the farmer and what they sell, um, it's a legitimate cut. In many cases, these are tough businesses where the margins are very low. Um, So for a a local farmer to get into that system, they're going to have to take a a big pay cut, basically, uh, for what they might have gotten through a farmer's market or through selling direct to someone like Spike. Um, The the way that our farms are going to be able to hopefully... Um, grow and get there are through efforts like um, Spike's efforts. Um, It's incredibly important, I think, um, if we care about having farms, having small farms, if we care about having really nutrient-dense foods. I mean, it's a fact that um, many of the local foods are more nutrient-dense than some of the other products that you're going to get that have been trucked um, sitting in trucks, um, and even their growing practices. I don't think a lot of people realize that hydroponic lettuce, which we have many hydroponic lettuce growers popping up everywhere, and it's great, and we all have nice, fresh, wonderful lettuce, but it's not grown in soil, so it's actually missing quite a few nutrients. We haven't perfected, um, you know, the act of God at this point. So um, I think it depends a lot on what your, goal, your values are and what is important to you. Um, I would say that getting rid of the chemicals should be number one, a uh, number one value. I agree in terms of the, what's happening in terms of our waterways and what we're seeing. Um, I would also say that pastured meat is really important. Um, if you are eating meat, um, I, I would be an advocate of eating meat because this is how we're going to improve our soil health. Um, so we're learning so much more about soil health, and if we were to change our farming practices alone, we could deal with all the excess carbon um, in the atmosphere. That's a fact. Um, through agriculture, we could we could save the planet. Um, will that happen? Probably not. <laughs> but um, you can see where in France they've actually made goals in terms of uh, carbon drawdown through uh, their farming practices. So they've actually set... Uh, goals in terms of the percentage that they're going to increase carbon in the soil. And the best way to increase carbon in your soil is you get rid of the chemicals, you use um, cover crops, you use certain kinds of practices. Um, basically, you go back, you sort of go back to what we once did in farming, but but bring in new technology and new science. So.
0: There's, there's no question that that those kind of regenerative practices are now, I think, getting the, the kind of the attention they deserve. Grass-based systems, I think, first and foremost. And grass based is, an, is an important part of the, the proteins that you guys stock, right? Mm-hmm. The beef, yep. um, pastured chicken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk? That does seem to be something you're able to find yeah. from around yeah. here. As a
3: matter of fact, uh, our meat program's gotten really much stronger. That's a complicated industry, though, uh, with the um, butchers and the, I guess, USDA. It's, I don't have a full understanding of that industry, actually. I, I just know that I've seen our department. Uh, really have a lot of options lately. And I agree with you that I think the key word that you said with local, it's complex. And when I say local is overrated, I still think it is overrated in the marketplace because if you take a survey of people, they will choose local over organic. So as I like to say, I, if you're farming chemically, I hope that you're farming outside of the Chesapeake uh, watershed um, because local is not – I think those, those are mis um, I think those are priorities that I don't agree with. Um, I, again, I'd rather have organic from California than chemical farm food from here in Maryland.
0: Is there something that you would like to see that, that you still struggle with at Moms, that you're, Is there a department or a section that you think, that you wish you could do better? Yeah, I could be here for an hour yeah. on that one.
3: Uh, no, I, I love um, meat was, has been weak for a long time at our stores. Um, Our produce is the best in the industry. No, I don't think there's other- How so? How is your produce the best in the industry? Well, we get deliveries every day, um, and um, our handling, you know it's really funny? If you guys go into, for example, Whole Foods, any grocery, actually, but the ones I go into the most are Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and even Sprouts has come on now. Did I say Wegmans? Um, They, um, they, uh, much of their produce, I even hate to say this on the air, uh, Much of their produce is kept out of refrigeration all day long. And we're talking asparagus, strawberries, raspberries, zucchini, you name it, corn. They just put it out on tables. I don't think the consumer understands the damage that does to the quality of the product. Um, The product gets old fast, especially some of these berries. Next time you go into any of those stores, uh, maybe not Trader Joe's, but but Wegmans and Whole Foods and Sprouts, just look at their produce section and you'll see a ton of stuff that ought to be under refrigeration that isn't. How about cheese? Cheese is, um, um, no, cheese is good. Like, uh, you know, we, we're a simple model, uh, and I like it that way, and that's what I like about Costco and Trader Joe's. Um, I would just, you know, I'll personally just say I'm frustrated with our cheese operation because there are some stores where it's very good and some stores where it's excellent, and it has too much to do with who's the cheese cutter at that store, uh-huh. and the customer doesn't care who the cheese cutter is. <laughs> uh, and so I've walked into some stores that I've been really frustrated with because their che- – Maryfield, for example, recently, their cheese looked terrible. And then I was up in our Cherry Hill, New Jersey store, and their cheese looked great and it just had to do with the person working there. And that's frustrating as just an operator because, uh, again, the customer doesn't care at all whether your cheese person caught in sick or is off or on vacation.
0: Is there, I want to flip that question back to you, Tracy, which is – you're on the Eastern shore of this, this historically great farming region, but are there things that you struggle, that you and your growers struggle with being there in that place?
4: Absolutely, there's many things. Um, I would start with the, um, sort of the political environment, um, the resistance um, for even the idea of what we were trying to do or what we are, are doing, um, which is working with the small farmers. So a lot of the traditional farmers Um, when they associated us with, um, things like organic or trying to work with farmers to reduce their, um, chemical loads, um, they immediately got very concerned that we were going to promote, um, an ideology and policy that would, um, make it harder for them to do what they're doing, which is spraying a lot of chemicals on a lot of corn, soy, and, and so on, um. So that actually was a battle. I mean it, it was it's a war, you know, to a certain extent because um they they Why do you think they
0: there is that? Why is it such us. a kind of all or nothing mindset with some you know some folks I, I'm
4: actually reading I'm re, I'm rereading Chesapeake um, the book Chesapeake by Jane Mishner to try to understand that myself. Um, because it's it seems to be rooted very much in the culture of uh, of the history. I think farming is really really, really hard, and so these are hard scrabble people that have had to defend their livelihoods, um, and they've been sold, uh, a particular way of doing their business, uh-huh. and they've, they, they believe in that way, um, and so, um, and, and they're, and they feel like they're under attack, in Maryland in particular, we have a very, very strong environmental community, and, um, they have done amazing things to make sure that the Chesapeake Bay is protected. Um, And so that raises the cost of, even in the industrial side of things, it raises the cost of doing farming in Maryland, um, whereas you go across the line into Delaware, and they don't have those same protections, uh, or Pennsylvania. And so um, it's an uneven playing field, and they don't want that playing field to become even more uneven. And so uh, a lot of people coming in with, you know, Uh, ideas about uh, clean food, Uh, it made them nervous. I think we're winning them over. That's good news.
0: So I'm wondering if you would be supportive, Scott, of Tracy's efforts to displace conventional chemical-based agriculture with other forms of agriculture that may not be fully organic but are, I think, in every way measurably better than commodity corn and soy. How
3: does that, how does that? I mean, look, I'm all progress, not perfection. So a a, a tablespoon of toxins, that is, that is an improvement, you know, if it's saved uh, from entering the uh, ecosystem. Um, We can't because one of our brand promises is that uh, we only sell the highest quality, 100% organic produce. Nothing is, is non-organic it's all certified in our store. So we can't sell it if it has anything sprayed on it. I support your efforts, and I and I bet you, you the uh, plenty of retailers who would, retailers who would take it, and of course maybe I don't know um, much about IPM certification, which is integrated pest management. You know, or you know, you go to farmers markets and you see. I, I like when they kind of tell you like it hasn't been sprayed, it's been sprayed once, you know, or as needed. Like that's much better than these industrial guys. Who, I mean, I go down to the northern neck of Virginia, um, whole fields. In June, won't have one green blade of grass on them because they have just been nuked. Right. I mean acres by I guess Roundup. Yeah. Um, and so you know, yeah. So I support uh, any improvement. Is, I'm there
0: a, is there a is there is, it, is there a tension or a balance that you need to, that you feel you need to to think about between carbon and and moving a lot of this food around because it has to come further away? Are there carbon impacts that you're concerned about when you're, when you're seeking organic?
3: Um, well, you know, I think organic is better carbon out of the bat, out of the gate, because um, it takes quite a bit of energy to produce all those uh, chemicals. Um, and many of them are petroleum-based, for example. Um, now, there are food miles, and that is something that, again, is a factor. But it's, again, so complex. Nothing's ever black and white, and things are not always equal. I will get trucks down from from Pennsylvania, and it's like a step truck. You know, it's small, it's one-third packed, and then you get these these gargantuan tractor trailers out from the West Coast, which are super efficient packed, floor to ceiling. I don't even know, for example, what the carbon, um, how that gets divvied up efficiency-wise. per pound of stuff that's being trucked, you know, because, again, they're, they're sending out such huge trucks. It's obviously more efficient to ship it that way. But, yes, food miles, I think, all things being equal, um, that's an that's a, uh, uh, asset uh, or a pro for local.
0: So we have both acknowledged, I think, that we have a very well-informed marketplace here in this part of the country, and a lot of them are here. Yes. In this room, <laughs> and so this I, this is the Love to, to get some questions from
2: our.
5: Um,
6: I have a question for Scott. Are you supportive of hydroponic being able to be certified organic?
3: I am, uh, and that's very controversial uh, in our industry. Um, and again, I'm progress, not perfection. So I don't, I, I trust what you said. I'm in the dark a little bit about the nutritional value on hydroponics versus soil-grown. It is lower. Okay. Um, okay, because, I mean, I am also a backer of science, and so I know that, that uh, nutrients can be added, but I, okay, let's assume that they're lower. Um, while hydroponics are being grown, and they're gonna be grown, it's a business model, and. Um, the I think NOSB, which is, I forget what that stands for National Organic Standards Board, um, just ruled that hydroponics were available to be certified organic. So I just feel like hydroponics is a, um, is an, is a model. So if you want to grow heirloom tomatoes in New York or here or wherever in the wintertime, the only way to do that is in a greenhouse um, and sometimes hydroponically, I guess. We um, um, I, As a consumer, yeah. I wish you would. Well, I think we do. Um, okay. it, like, like, like hydroponic is, it is labeled, uh, but it's also certified organic. So, in a nutshell, it's being grown. I would like to give some hydroponic growers the opportunity to um, grow theirs uh, certified organic, and that's that, again that's progress, not perfection. It's it's like we sell like things that are bad for you, like chocolate and coffee and ice cream, and and. and well, I know, and there used to be some purists in the industry when I, uh, when I started that wouldn't sell stuff that was even bad for you. Um, so there is this thing where it's not as good as it could be. Um, and every product somebody, almost every product somebody has a problem with. Um, so we're always looking to improve whatever's there. It's like meat. Some people hate that we sell meat. They say we're hypocrites, it's bad for the environment. You're, um, you know, inhumane. But we say, look, it's better than the other stuff. So don't buy it if you don't want it. Um, We want to give people the opportunity to buy better meat than what they're getting uh, at Safeway or Giant. Well,
5: I had a question, but now I have two questions. (laughs)
7: Oh,
5: okay. So, okay, so um, building on your last, what your conversation just now when you were saying that hydroponic farmers can add nutrients? Are you talking about GMOs? Um, that's my first question. And my second question is, um, I w- was reading an interview with the head of Kroger who may very well have hubris, but she's not a white man, she's a woman of color, um, who said that one of the things that she she really liked was that she could have local produce and organic produce. Um, and she's very proud of that innovation in the Kroger's since her, ten- during her tenure. And how, how do you feel about how, or do you feel that y'all, you, like also Spike, because he's buying, he's setting a trend to buy, buy organic and local produce. I mean, how do you feel like you're upping the game of those big box stores?
3: Yeah, it's, um, well, Whole Foods, I gotta tell you, Whole Foods, I, they are irritating to me and, in, in, um, in their culture and their CEO and all that, but they deserve so much credit for um, changing the game. And so they are the ones who have really um, forced the hand of the people like Kroger. Um, And, you know, I think it was when, um, you know, and you always have these big announcements, like Walmart announced they were gonna really do their own private label organics, they're gonna drop the price, they were gonna brand it uh, Wild Oats um uh and I knew I was on the inside of that in many ways and um you know they put the plug on that um eventually but everybody was reading Whole Foods obituary um when that happened Walmart was going to um like decimate uh through through pricing um, you know John Mackey's point was It's good for the industry when Stonyfield Farm Organic Yogurt is sold at Walmart, and I agree with that. Um, And Whole Foods for decades now has kind of incubated our customer for us in the same way. We're more dedicated to organics. They carry so much non-organic produce um, and non-organic items. Um, So I like it. I, I like that Kroger carries organics. Again, progress, not perfection. I hope, and it is everywhere now. I will end with this really quick. I remember, I think it was 2002, I almost fell out of my chair. I was watching TV and I saw an ad for Organic Rice Krispies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't believe it. it. On national TV, I thought organics had arrived after 15 years of being you know, mocked and um, you know, made fun of. Uh, you know. And so it's here to stay. Um, and I like it that it's everywhere. Oh, can I say GMOs, please? Uh, you yes, asked that. Sorry, really quick. I'm going to say something here that um, again, I'm just going to say it. There's a lot of hysteria around GMOs. Again, I'm a science guy. Um, we get, and I see it. I'm I'm on the inside. I got my name on the bag. I get so many people um, who there's so much misinformation about GMOs. Um, most things are not GMO. Hardly anything is GMO because. Um, I mean, I get accused of having GMO, like, lettuce or something. There's no GMO lettuce on this planet. It hasn't been done that way yet. Um, so there's a lot of um, misunderstanding. And then, then the labeling is irritating. People will say non-GMO on an organic label. Uh, and, and, if you, and actually, if you survey people, they prefer non-GMO to organic. Again, organic is non-GMO. There's just, I just want to make the point that, that around GMOs, there's a lot of... Um, um, misinformation and overreaction to that, or misreaction, I should say.
0: I, I would say, um, you know, when it comes to Kroger or Walmart, and, and they're, they don't get, I think I used to blame them for a lot of what was going on in our food system. I don't really blame them for it, it and, but they don't get any credit either. They are, as much as anything, maybe a mirror or maybe kind of a wind uh, sock or something, to the way things are going. They're not going to put anything on their shelves because they think it's the right thing to do, they're going to put it on their shelves because they, it'll sell. They want velocity, and they want a lot of people co- coming through their aisles. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And so you can love them or hate them for that, but you know if she's putting organic and local up, it's just because she thinks it's going to sell. That's so
3: true. I mean, they're not very dedicated, and, and, and people can sniff that out. They're not authentic. And so to me, it's good that a person that's normally buying Fruit Loops is walking by the Nature's Path Fruity O's, um, uh, you know, every week until after maybe fifty times of doing that, let, let me try this box. But they're only doing it because they've been forced to do it. Um, and if you walk into a lot of conventional grocery stores, they've got huge organic signs everywhere. And uh, Wegmans does this a lot. And I mean, that's primarily their message. It's because it, it, they know it helps their brand,
8: but they're not selling much of that stuff, or even offering it. Okay, <laughs> this is like the crux of the origin series have an awesome supplier, or you're a seller. You've tapped into an incredible outlet, and we need Maryland to supply local food. It seems to me it's all about education and whether you buy because you want your own own personality to be healthy, or you want to buy because you want the environment to be healthy. Can your stores, they're small stores from my, I only know the one in Cox. Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you (laughs) is that the size that works oh yeah they're all the same about that they're all like that size that's a
3: mid-size store for us the hamden one is bigger is it Um, possible
8: to adapt those stores so that you can you can carry more local produce at the time when it's being produced, as opposed to bringing it in from California?
3: Well, we carry a ton of local produce, actually, when it's in season. I, I, my only point was that I, I do feel like the consumer has, uh, they don't prioritize it right. They prefer local to organics. I don't, I think that's, that, that's not my priorities. We carry tons of local stuff. It's all organic. Uh, right. That's actually right. the double, what do they call it, the um, double winner or whatever, the, the, the gold standard when it's local and organic. Right. Um, sure is.
8: Yeah. Right, so the question is, I mean, I like blueberries year round. I realize I shouldn't be buying blueberries year round. I should be only buying them when they're produced during the time of the year when they grow here, not in Peru. Mm -hmm. But are your farmers willing to take 10% of their land and grow something that's local as opposed to producing a generic crop? Which I understand why, if you're a farmer, why you wouldn't want to do one thing that works all
4: the time? So the answer to that is absolutely yes. And um, they would need to be assured that they can sell the product. And where the breakdown is happening is in the logistic, logistics area. So if you have a farm that's, even if they're filling a small truck, um, it's not cost efficient to get that truck delivered to each one of his stores. Um, which is your model. You require um, the farmer to come to each store. So we've talked to our farmers about supplying bombs, um, and that's the issue. They, they literally can't physically do that, um, and the logistics don't support it because, again, the tractor trailers coming from California are fully packed, and they're using uh, mechanized systems and other things that make those, the, the economies of scale work. Um, here so yeah, we have willing and farmers, but they don't have the science behind them They don't have the technology and we don't have the infrastru- uh, the investment in the infrastructure here in Maryland yet I think we will get it.
3: I, I would like to uh, Maybe challenge or push back a little bit there, which is um, you know They could deliver to wholesalers really easily either in the Jessup or Four Seasons um, and we actually do have a warehouse where, if it is a small farm, you, you don't know this, it's fairly new. Okay, I was um, going to say. Where yeah. we can bring a small farmers. I mean, my God, wouldn't it be great if some, if, because uh, if, uh, I think bush blueberries might do fine out there. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, if they could get going on something like that, mm-hmm. I don't know what the birds do. Um, but anyway. You, it, you net them. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, my God, if we could get a great local blueberry grower, and we have a great local blueberries, we'd buy we sent our truck to you. I'm going to take you up yeah. to
4: that. <laughs> you heard it. <laughs> I'll do it.
9: <laughs> hey, I'm a shopper of uh, Mom's Organic Market, and uh, I have a six-year-old and uh, twins that are four, and they've been shopping <laughs> there since they were little. I just took a video of um, the twins dancing in your aisle, so I just want to oh. say thank you. I'm also, um, the first part is just thank um, you. I love the coffee aspect of it. I know that's not local. Um, I love that they help me to my car. Um, so the customer service is to another level. And I also love the niche products. So Brooklyn hot dogs, I only could get up in Jersey at a certain store. And now you put it in Jessup's, I'm like, whoa, they have the Brooklyn hot dog. It's a snap with the hot dog. I'm a hot dog. I'm a North Jersey guy. And then um, Woodbury Kitchen Pantry, you also hold. So I just want to thank you for holding niche um, things that draws in uh, consumers like me. Uh, my question is, though, is how do you... Um, why or how do you source the Brooklyn Hot hot Dog or the Woodbury Pantry? Because um, I don't see it anywhere, and I'm glad you're disrupting the industry and you're allowing me to buy, spend my money on that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of our brand promises is Incredible Selection. Uh, We have four brand promises, and and I told you the the other one, or another one, was the uh, only organic, highest quality organic uh, produce. So the Incredible Selection is... It, it, it's just that. I mean, you are almost a walking advertisement for our brand promise. Um, uh, because even the carrying of the bags is a policy. Um, and that's part of our uh, remarkable customer service brand promise. Um, uh, so anyway, I don't do a lot of sourcing. I, I have a team, a large team, who does that, and they're brilliant. Um, I do some sourcing, and I, I work on merchandising. Uh, but that's... that's um, that's uh, incredible selection. Uh, incredible selection, we have the highest ingredient standards in the industry. Uh, so we think that's incredible about our selection. And then we also have these really unique products and high-quality products uh, that you can't find. And so that kind of creates that treasure hunt I was talking about, where you go in there and you're like, holy cow, these hot dogs are great. Spikes products are the same thing. You get in there and you, and you buy his tomato paste or, uh, um, or jellies or something, and you're like, wow, I can only get this here at Mom's. And that, that's very important to our customers. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Hi. Um, I was wondering if you think it's possible for some of the big production farmers on the Eastern Shore to carve out a small portion of their land or their production to grow some of the organic and local um, products so that they can balance the the cost and the um, economic return? Because, like you were saying, it's so hard to move the products and to guarantee a farmer who's only doing locally sourced products uh, enough income to make it worthwhile, but if they were coupled somehow, it seems that you could get what the farmer needs and also source uh, the local and organic component of it.
4: So absolutely, I mean, there's plenty of land um, to do that, and so it, it, it's definitely an end end You know, you can do the industrial farming and we can be doing the local food or the specialty crop farming. Um, the, again, the, the challenge I'm going to say again is the logistics and getting enough critical mass so that the farms are either close enough together. So when you're running a truck, you're doing it with efficiency and you're, and then you're aggregating that product in some warehouse somewhere, and then you can get it, uh, delivered, um, where it needs to go. Um, you mentioned the distributors. Um, the distributors are, uh, coming to the shore and they're picking up Um, but again the price point is is very very low so it's it's a challenge so we don't have all the things lined up yet for that actually to happen Uh, what we're concentrating on now is educating the farms about the opportunities getting them to put in blueberries for example um, and also getting them uh, food safety certified which is another very important thing they need to be uh, food safety certified. That's something that happens by product. And uh, pretty much, I think it's 17% of our farms um, nationwide are food safety certified. So a lot of our food that's being sold into the marketplace is not actually food safety certified. Um, but many uh, uh, buyers, I, I'm imagining you or one, require some sort of GAP certification, I would think. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly true of, of uh, pretty much everyone we've ever talked to. So, so there's a lot of things that
6: have to come together. Do you have
0: a question, Megan? Or a comment? Yeah. Um, hang on,
6: hang on. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I want to thank you for having this conversation. I, I sort of sit in between you and you. I sell on your shelves, and I sometimes buy from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to know in this conversation, we're all talking about organic food, local food, Um, the consumer, do you really think that what sits on our shelves reflects the true cost of food given that you can buy organic food, certified organic food for pennies it seems like, whereas in order for us to make a living, for us to pay my employees, I have to sell fermented foods at a price that a lot of people find to be very expensive, what we find to be actually be the true cost of that food and actually, we probably should charge a little bit more. I'd just like to hear a little bit about how you feel that that fits into the consumerist marketplace these days. Why don't you just identify your product for people? That sure. Know? Um, uh, so, my name is Megan, and my husband and I, along with our team, make um, fermented foods, and we're called Hex Ferments.
4: Yeah. We We touched on this earlier. I mean, we, we externalized the costs of our food production. So there's been studies actually, this is a great book, it's on the list um, --The Value of Nothing." Um, th- this is a, a 2012 book or something, but so the, the numbers are outdated, but um, it was estimated that um, the co- true cost of a McDonald's hamburger is should be 200 dollars versus, you know, whatever it is, two bucks. Um, so we're externalizing those costs through carbon um, in our atmosphere, through our health costs. Forty percent of our um, diseases are um, food-related diseases. And uh, this is something that is coming down like a freight train at us as a nation because it's going to completely, um, you know, take over our economy if we don't do something about it. So um, it's, it, it, we're upside down. We're upside down on this
3: issue. I've heard of your products. It just came up about a week ago. Um, And um, I can't remember the context. Oh, no, I think Lisa DeLima said, well, we need to carry the hex foods of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I will say that, you know, I go to a farmer's market every week, and um, I don't buy much there because a lot of it is um, not, I mean, if it's great, OK, I will. But a lot of it's overpriced, in my opinion. But I like farmer's markets because they give uh, startups an opportunity to cut me out and to cut out the distributor. So it's kind of like me buying my um, sister's Malibu station wagon and and going out of my mother's garage to start my company. Um, And that was how I could compete with the big guys. Um, So I like these ways that you you guys can sell your product at full margin. Um, But there comes a point, I believe, that, for example, there was a woman who was selling us salad dressings, and I love their salad dressings, and she kept on saying, hey, carry my salad dressings, and finally I looked at the numbers. I think she was charging $12 for 12 ounces, and it wasn't selling, you know what I mean? Um, so it's really not us who decides, it's, it's the consumer, and, and you know, it's a war, especially for manufacturers, and, and I mean, to you guys, it's a lot about your brand, um, but it's a war. That's what commerce is. That's what the free market really is. And um, so, and we're at war with, with as Spike at other grocers. And so we have to work so hard to keep our costs down and to, you know, to, I just invested in a clean energy company. And I <laughs> I said, I don't like the way this company is run because I wasn't used to a company being run with money because uh, I thought they were too kind of soft and spending it too freely and and not bootstrapping enough. Um, so anyway, that's what I'll say from an entrepreneurial or an entrepreneurial point of view. Is you guys are in the fight for your life, and it's up for the. It's not between me. I mean, we just mark it all up the same. It's your consumer who's going to tell you whether you have a marketplace at the right price.
6: but Mm -hmm. say they do have organic practices, which our business was founded on. We supported local growers, and now a lot of those local growers that we work with are certified organic, Mm -hmm. and we are now certified organic, Mm -hmm. which was a pain in the butt, Mm -hmm. and it is legitimate. I can testify to that. But from the farmer's perspective, you know, I work with a lot of farmers who I ask, okay, well, what do you want for your cost per pound for carrots? And they have no clue. Mm -hmm. And... I, I find that to be a little scary from the fact that, do they not know the costs and the inputs that are going into making that carrot? And are they trying to compete with, say, agriculture from California, where it is a lot cheaper? Mm-hmm. So I just think from, from someone that buys ton, literally tons of produce every single year, I find that every year we're sitting down with farmers and we're having these conversations like, well, what, what do you need to make? And yeah. I can try to match that to then pass that on to my ferments and then in, on to my consumer.
3: Yeah, yeah. it's arbitrary, the pricing. Yeah. It's a commodity, it's it goes really on. High.
6: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, getting back to the, the economics part of this, what fraction of the population do you think will be able to afford what you sell so, or what you grow? So for example, I would imagine that the majority of individuals in this country are having a difficult time, or many many people are having a difficult time affording their food. Mm-hmm. So the $2 McDonald's hamburger mm-hmm. is a great source of starch and carbohydrates and fats and protein for somebody who's not making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, how do you, so how do we get to the point where more people, other than a very esoteric group of individuals, with a certain income, can move over to this kind of
8: food. I mean, well, this.
3: <laughs> I mean, look, this is a um, this is a uh, class problem uh, of economics, like you said, and so it's not that the food is unaffordable; it's that poverty exists uh, for a million reasons. Whether it's you know, it's generational. Uh, as a matter of fact. I would never open in a poor part of town because um, there's no demand there. Because poor people don't even want organic food. They, they, they don't see the value in it generally. And this is a cultural thing. They, they, um, that's why you have, uh, I mean, there's a lot of sodas, a lot of McDonald's. I don't think it's, and I've seen people take uh, organic concepts into poorer parts of town and they just have to close, close up shops. So it's not, and so I know you're asking about the price. Um, I'm I'm saying yes, you're right in that in that people can't afford. uh, Organics is more expensive. Part of that is the unfair subsidies that that the government gives.
2: Do you know the economics of the people who buy in bonds? You you probably don't have that information. I have a gut feel because. But I mean, I want. I don't think it's just people who are living below the poverty line. I think it's probably a lot of people who are in the middle class
3: that can't afford organics? Yeah. No, I don't think that's accurate. Um, The reason why
2: I don't think that's accurate is
3: because we have some stores in middle class areas, um, and um, and then we have some stores in in upscale areas. It's about priorities for them. Um, During the recession, the great recession, we never had a negative uh, uh, month uh, of comps year over year. Our customers are so dedicated to organics that they will give up a vacation. They will stop eating out. Um, it's kind of like asking someone to go to a discount lower quality doctor. Um, people are not gonna do that. Um, so our customers will go out of their way, the middle class will go out of their way to buy organic foods because it's, it's, um, it's um, their world view.
4: I would just say people, in my opinion, we need to eat differently. So, yeah, maybe it's more expensive if you're still consuming the same amount of meat, but if you start to uh, reduce your meat intake and eat more vegetables, you can make some adjustments. Um, But I would also argue that we should be paying more for our food, that that's the right thing to do. If if you look at um, the the sort of globally, we we still have very inexpensive food here as compared as a percentage of our income than than anywhere else in the world. So... um, We buy a lot of things, cheap things, Um, maybe, you know, cutting back on some of that kind of consumerism and paying more attention to what you're putting in your body is a higher, should be a higher priority. Um, The poverty issue's real, I'm not arguing, but again, the country, we're upside down.
3: I mean, why is Coke so much cheaper than like Honest Tea or any kind of natural drink? Um, It's because of that high-fructose corn syrup. Um, which is highly subsidized um, and uh, mass-produced, and and by the way, the privatized cost of that is this ob- obesity epidemic, and so healthcare costs go up. I mean, you're you're what ought to be happening is they ought to be subsidizing the hell out of organics or cleaner food, and 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 not giving them a penny because they are damaging the environment and damaging um, uh, people's health. They're putting people in morgues. Um,
9: Absolutely. Yeah.
7: You're here. Um, Spike asked earlier about um, there's preface that there's a lot of levers that we're trying to pull here to have a better environment and better outcomes and better health and all that. But Spike isolated uh, in one question earlier uh, about the carbon um, impact uh, of food. And I'm wondering how many of like your customers or your distributors do you think appreciate that, and you just touched on this a moment ago, that it isn't so much that the 10% or 20% or 50% more carbon that's embodied in a vegetable that's shipped across the country versus a local vegetable the big carbon impact is eating vegetables instead of meat. Yeah. And I, I am a carnivore. I mean, I, I eat meat. I'm not um, saying. But, but the, the big divide is not local produce versus California mm-hmm. produce. Mm-hmm. It's the percentage of our diet that we, that mm-hmm. we devote to uh, feeding with meat. Because then you're talking about factors of 10 at a minimum to 20 to 30 more carbon impact um, versus a plant-based diet. So do people understand that?
4: I think it depends, well, I would just say it depends on how the meat was raised. Uh, I, I generally agree with what you say, but I do think it does depend somewhat. Pastured meat is essential for soil health. For, for uh, crop fed meat. And soil health is critical for carbon drawdown so um, it's a systems and it's I think sometimes we get obsessed with pieces of the system and we want to like un- think that our carbon footprint is lower or this I think we what we have to really look at here is full-on behavioral changes that um, are, are just more in alignment with with the values that that you're looking you know to bring to the world
3: I mean you're you're I Believe that you're correct in that fact. What do they call it? CAFO. What does that stand for again?
0: Confined uh, animal feeding operation. Yeah,
3: um, that stuff is just
8: terrible. You know. Terrible, you know? Yeah. By the way, another
3: huge carbon um, draw is refrigeration of food. Um, that's that's. Um, I mean, that that just pulls so much energy. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 CAFO meat is is. If people switched to um, fruits and vegetables and grains, it'd be a different ballgame, and not just with the environment, but um, uh, for health. I eat meat, by the way, um, but I rationalize it. I always take the stuff going past date. <laughs> it was already gonna, you know. <laughs> one more Have time for
1: one more.
9: <laughs> right here. Okay. Hi. Uh, thank you both. So uh, thank thank you all for uh, sharing, and it's been really um, educational.
3: Uh, Scott, I wanted to ask you two questions. One, um, have you seen, uh, uh, and this kind of piggybacks
9: off of the previous question, have you seen a, um, a, a rise in vegan options in your uh, locations? And um, my second question
3: was, do you have a particular um, uh, uh, things that you look for as far as uh, real estate is concerned uh, when you are looking to open new stores? Um, Yeah, veganism is on the rise. It always has been. Um, So there's always, it's just, it's a big deal. Um, However, meat sales are on the rise. Uh, I think uh, organic meats in the industry, it's a category that's that's growing. Um, Store location, uh, it's, you know, there's a reason why retailers close stores, even the best retailers, because there is no exact science to it. Um, it's largely a gut feel for me. I was, I was um, telling Dana that this Hamden store I didn't even want. <laughs> uh, I got convinced, talked into it, um, and um, uh, it's our best store. So, you know, I feel like um, I look for major highways, easy to get to, Google Map. I used to drive around and look for um, uh, jumbo, you know, playgrounds and uh, you know, kids, sign of kids. Um, So um, yeah, we just look for density, um, and we can go. We 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 have a store. uh, I think uh, two stores in PG County, um, and and we've had the the one store in there since 2000. The other one since 2006 or seven, or I'm sorry, eight. And um, and Whole Foods just got there, like, this year. Um, I don't even think Trader Joe's is in PG County yet. Um, so um, um, so anyway, we, we, we can go to places like Waldorf. Waldorf Melon is one of our best stores ever. It's incredible. Even I, am I grew up in PG County, and we always refer that to the armpit of PG County. Uh, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, we can cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and it's one of our most fantastic stores. So anyway, it... it Long story short, it's a crapshoot. No matter what, we do our best.
0: Well, the, the conversation can and will continue <laughs> over supper. We've got a great supper. It was somehow, I'm not sure if it was inspired by uh, local supermarket food, but we, we're, we did some pastas, and uh, we've got a meat pasta, a, a vegetable pasta, some really great salads. Um, I want to thank Tracy and Scott for being here. A tremendous conversation. One of the best I think we've ever had. We got into some stuff, and I love it. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us tonight for our conversation at Artifact Coffee. With special thanks to Dana Slater for producing the program, Hannah Reagan for her masterful coordination, and particular thanks to Donnie Carlo for recording this evening's conversation. We're grateful to be partnering with Heritage Radio in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you to them for creating a home for the Origin Speaker Series.